Hello and welcome to the Graveyard Shift, the weekly horror podcast where we take listener and guest suggested movies and break them down into the good, the bad, and anything else we find fun and or relevant. My name is Mike and I never work the Graveyard Shift alone. Please welcome the guy who probably would have just ignored the box of home movies and ruined this demon's day, John. <laughs> hello, hello. Yeah, you know what? I probably wouldn't have even noticed the box of home movies. I I swear I probably would not have even found it like until like five years after living in the house. And that fucking ghost would just get so fed up waiting for me to find it. <laughs> <laughs> I would like ignore all the signals, I think. Like too. It's like trying to lead me up there and I'm like, huh? What? <laughs> yeah. Today's episode is Eight millimeters got nothing on this. Because we watch Sinister. This movie was suggested by Mrs. Genzi Gen Genzanita. That's her Twitter handle, of course. She uh, suggested this movie, uh, wasn't able to record with us, but uh, hopefully we'll get her for another movie in the future. Just giving her credit for this movie so we know who to blame. <laughs> Absolutely. Blame for a good time. <laughs> so, this movie was directed by Scott Derrickson, written by C. Robert Cargill and Scott Derrickson, produced by Jason Bloom, Brian Kavanaugh Jones, cinematography by Christopher Knorr, edited by Frederick Thoraval, music by Christopher Young, produced by Alliance Films, Automatic, Blumhouse Productions, and I Am Global. I wish I was global. <laughs> Distributed by Summit Entertainment and Momentum Pictures. Released March 11, 2012 at South by Southwest and October 12, 2012 in the rest of the United States. This movie has a runtime of 109 minutes. This has a budget of $3 million and a box office of $87.7 million. So kind of a big fucking deal. Yeah, I'll say. And uh, this movie starred Ethan Hawke as Ellison Oswald, Juliette Rylance as Tracy Oswald, Fred Thompson as Sheriff, James Ranson as a Deputy, Michael Hall Dario as Trevor Oswald, Claire Foley as Ashley Oswald, Nick King portraying Bugul or Mr. Boogie, <laughs> and Vincent D'Onofrio as the uncredited professor. This movie has an RT score of 67%. Yeah. And uh, the synopsis is a struggling writer in a slump moves to a uh, small town seemingly to get a fresh start, but actually he's on the case of some mysterious murder somehow. And then he, str then he stumbles upon some weird home movies that show some strange homicides. And he doesn't take it to the police. Because he's a fucking dum-dum. And he gets what he has coming. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, he's, he's ego-obsessed for sure. So, let's get into some of the trivia. The writer, uh, Robert C. Car C. Robert Cargill, said that the inspiration for Sinister came from a nightmare that he experienced after seeing The Ring, in which he discovered a film in his attic depicting the hanging of an entire family. This scenario became the setup for the plot, 
and uh, in creating a villain for the film, he conceptualized a new take on the boogeyman calling the entity Mr. Boogie. Uh, Cargill's idea was that the creature would be both terrifying and seductive to children, luring them to their dooms as a sinister Willy Wonka-like figure. You know, you could have just got Willy Wonka because that guy already has a fucking boogeyman. <laughs> yeah, get Johnny Depp's Willy Wonka for sure. He could have got it. Could he? Could he have been less Michael Jacksony? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like exactly. I mean, he's easily a, a horror movie villain right there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so they decide to downplay the creature's alluring nature, only intimating how it manipulates the children into murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and personally, I feel like they showed him a little. They showed him too much, too. You know. <laughs> and they decided not to make it a demon, but rather a pagan deity, in order to make it outside the conceptual scope of any one particular religion. Hmm. And consequently, the villain was given the proper name Bugul. Mm-hmm. with only the child characters referring to it as Mr. Boogie. Right. And in crafting a look, they uh, they initially kept the idea of a sinister Willy Wonka before realizing the audience might find it silly and it would kill the potential for the film becoming a series. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I so, can see that. Yeah. So looking for inspiration, Derrickson typed the word horror into Flickr and searched through half a million images. He narrowed the images down to 15, including the photograph of a ghoul, which is simply tagged Natalie. He was particularly struck by Natalie and decided, what if it's just this guy? So he contacted the photographer and purchased the rights to use the image for $500. He explained that the image appealed to him because it reminded him of the makeup and costume worn by performers in black metal, while remaining unique enough so as not to be directly linked to the genre. Derrickson previously researched black metal while looking for inspiration for Bugul's symbol, which was ritualistically painted at the scene of each of the film's murder sequences. Some of the background music for these murder sequences was taken by from ambient tracks by bands associated with the Norwegian black metal scene, including Ulver and Agast. Oh, damn. <laughs> Starting to turn into a rabbit hole here. Yeah, so this guy was scouring the internet looking for images to make something he could profit off of. So he had uh, fucking Google AI art beat by like a decade and a half. <laughs> well, just so. a decade. Still, I mean, th- this guy's a fucking visionary. Yeah. He's like, I, I got to start stealing from the internet for my own profit before Google beats me to it. <laughs> hey, you know, hey, he paid for it. Okay, you know. Barely. I mean, 500 bucks, that guy carries that shit in his glove compartment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, wouldn't have known he was going to make a big movie off of it. If you make $87 million off a movie, $500 is like fucking pennies. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, hopefully, you should come back and give him some royalties for that, but, yeah. you know. But, hey, you someone's going to take someone's gonna take my shit for a movie, and be like, hey, you know what? I'll take a flat rate of 500 bucks plus a percent, plus like a point of the income. So, uh, yeah, the concept of the movie is a guy sees uh, disturbing images in some already disturbing home movies of families being murdered and uh, finds that there's a common thread, a monster. And then some other shit happens. And he's a dum-dum throughout the whole movie. So... I kind of got issues. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. Uh, well, some issues. I mean, it, it was scary in some parts, so, you know, it, it had goods, it had bads, and, you know, that's that's exactly what the show's here to talk about. Exactly. So, we'll start with the goods, we'll start with me, and, uh, you know, right off the bat, this movie starts with a quadruple homicide. Although, like, at first the tree scene seemed a little confusing to me, like it could have been a suicide, as nobody seemed to be struggling. <laughs> even when Even when the rope... Even when, like, the branch uh, slowly falls and lifts them up. Yeah. Because uh, well, the, way they're, the way they're tied in this tree is that the rope that's holding them up uh, laps down to the other side over a, a cut branch, uh-huh. which eventually gives way to its own weight and falls. So it acts as a pulley lifting them up. But they don't seem to be, like, struggling or panicking the way they go up slowly and they're just doing bicycle walks <laughs> yeah. as they're being rose up, it makes it sound as if they're not desperate people reaching for ground to keep from choking. <laughs> I, that was it, something I noticed about, too. It was like this weird, like they were just like dog paddling in midair. <laughs> like their legs so are just, doing a dog paddle. Yeah. At first I thought it was a suicide. <laughs> yeah. And it's then that they're just walking onto the promised land. <laughs> yep. Just being we, we, we got to hitch a ride on the comet. <laughs> yeah, they're just being gently escorted over there to the. Uh, they're yeah, they're hitching a ride on the comet to the fucking what is it? Those world world's end, fucking heaven's apocalyptic a, heaven's, heaven's gate. A, heaven's gate. That's what it was. Yeah, heaven's gate apocalyptic cult. <laughs> yeah, so that that it it, it it confused the hell out of me. I mean, it could have definitely. It, we had to watch it again to find out. Oh yeah, shit, it was a murder. Yeah, because it did not come off as a murder. It, it it looked like a family suicide thing, right? Although it still was disturbing. I mean, when your movie starts like that, I'm just like, it. I mean, it happened right after the other studio logos. So at first, I was wondering, is this another studio logo? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, a- am I going to see like TriStar appear, like as like as their bodies are lifted up off the ground? TriStar is going to be behind them, <laughs> like their bodies are <laughs> revealing the studio. <laughs> you're like this is an i am global production it's like fuck yeah so that was my first good what about you uh my first good i mean i i, I would just say i think um uh, you know ethan hawk you know being uh he basically just carries this whole movie um you know i think he's depicting a character who is basically it's as it's indicated it's a person who is completely ego driven like to the extent that i think at one point he maybe believed his own lie about like why he does all this like crime writing stuff but you know obviously he's been kind of driven to the point of like you know extremes and he's um yeah essentially just kind of shutting everything out for the sake of like ambition you know and i don't know i think he just his performance is pretty good i think like the way his sort of mood changes as he starts to watch more of these like videos and stuff and start to see how it really like starts to unravel him so uh you know i i think like it it just helps the overall movie that you do have a strong lead so i think he's really good on that front um i i kind of I felt like he was pretty believable in his role, so. He was definitely an asshole, that's for sure. 
Yeah, he definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He, he carried it. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I kind of like I followed him a lot. Even like I, I could say like his decisions made sense to me because of his what his character is. It's like yeah, no, of course it's because yeah. <laughs> um. So um. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he, he like he wasn't somebody who was kind of like you followed him, but he wasn't exactly the most likable guy either. <laughs> he kind of had a he has a bad reputation, and it seems deserved in a lot of ways. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, my next good is uh, decent music at the start, mm-hmm. and uh, throughout most of the movie, with an asterisk. Mm-hmm. And apparently that dog's just trying to be like, hey, Hi. what do you mean the music's good? I had problems with it. And I'm be like, hey, I'll get there, all right, dog? Yeah. I, I, We're in the goods right now. Wait yeah. your turn, Barky. Yeah, that was going to be mildly good. I, I, I all around enjoyed the soundtrack. Even the stuff that I realized was supposed to be grating, I'm like, yeah, no, it's I get it. It's not like I'm supposed to enjoy listening to this, but, you know, if you're trying to convey a mood. So what's your next good? Um, well, I, I will piggyback a little bit on it. I only had a particular note on just during, like, the... Um, well, during... The investigation scenes where Ethan Hawke is first watching these, um, watching these films, you know, um, just the music that they were playing during it was pretty creepy. It really just kind of created the mood for these scenes. I just, I found some of those parts, um, yeah, just particularly well shot. I was like, this is just a good creepy horror scene that doesn't exactly involve a ton of gore or anything. It's just... Um, and I guess I'm kind of lumping this in with another good note I had. It's just, this is like a good example of some analog horror. And you mentioned 8mm when you were first introducing this movie. I was like, yeah, this actually reminds me a bit of 8mm. Um, and I don't know, I like that sort of, you know me, I like a little bit of that analog horror, found footage, grainy type thing. I, I feel like it makes some of those scenes, those, you know those murder scenes look more just, I don't know, just more eerie and unsettling to me. So, um, but yeah, I don't know, just good use of music, um, at the horror scenes. I I feel like the soundtrack definitely hit the right notes, no pun intended, or maybe pun intended, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, I'd say another good remark on the soundtrack. Okay, so uh, my next good is uh, when the ghosts appear, they aren't glitching or screaming. Uh, very sneaky ghosts. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, that. Oh, yeah. They at least they did that a little bit, a little more. Like they, I'm glad they didn't ham it up in that regard. You know, it was like the just a typical. Just screaming child ghost. He didn't try to do that. This movie did have some jump scares, but it didn't do that jump scare that you is very cliche, you know. I mean, it's just so cheap. Whenever like a ghost appears and it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like I, you're just like cutting out the the sound and like they're they're 
almost looking pixelated or yeah glitchy like hey it's a it's an image that's got static yeah as much as i don't like that they kind of did do the creepy children trope in this movie um they didn't resort to those cliches to that degree they still kind of use the trope well i i you know um it, it, like I said, this is definitely not the worst example of this trope, but I'm just like, okay, creepy children. It's, it's kind of par for the course if it's any sort of supernatural horror movie. So, yeah. Uh, trying to see what my next good would be here. Um, well, um, I'd say just as a more of a broad thing, I think for the overall film structure i guess like this movie is well paced i didn't really find myself feeling like anything was really slow to me i don't know it just i was pretty much you know i was invested the whole time i mean i feel like the way that they um you know move the plot forward with Ethan Hawke slowly finding out more and more about the backstory of the house he lives in and then the previous houses that those people lived in and so on, just the whole chain of the murders. And um, and as again, you know, just as, you know, he starts to unravel and then it kind of builds up towards the twist. Um, it, it's it's well paced and the way they escalate, it's pretty good. Um you know, I, it's yeah. It doesn't feel like there's too much stuff that drags. Um, maybe a couple. Okay, maybe a couple things, but I'll get to that in the negatives. But I don't know. It's a well-paced movie. We'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, my last good is Vincent D'Onofrio as the professor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was. Yeah, that was actually another one of my goods. There, it's just guys nice to see him there. He's one of my favorite actors. Yeah, and then uh, loved him in fucking Kingpin. Or yep. as Kingpin. Yep. He was. And, uh, this. Yep. Apparently he's been in some other horror movies, so we'd like to uh, cover them on the show, because, you know, D'Onofrio's a pretty good guy. Pretty good actor. Like, he, he I mean, I could barely see... Cause this cause this guy's the opposite of King. Yeah. Just so much hair everywhere. It's kinda like Wirebrush Willie when you just use all the all the shavings. <laughs> and then Kingpin is just like when you just like shake it and let them all fall down. <laughs> this reminds me of like Danny DeVito in uh uh Always Sunny in Philadelphia when he like shaves all his, all of his hair off. <laughs> I don't know if you'd seen that episode or not, but <laughs> So, yeah, like, that guy just really jumps into a fucking role. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That guy transforms. He's Gomer Pyle, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what are your remaining goods? Uh, Okay, well, uh, I will just, yeah, the Vincent D'Onofrio was another one of those, but we kind of talked on that. Um, I will give it credit, because I think they had a really good jump scare with the lawnmower. Okay, you, you might have had that as a negative. I don't know. I thought that fucking jump scare was a good one. All right. And I kind of saw it coming. When I saw the lawnmower, I'm just like, okay, we're definitely well, getting, we're going into brain dead territory. I did too. I knew it was coming, but it's still like, I felt like it was a well-executed one because 
the way that they did the sound effect just right. Like it, it was, it was a good jump scare. I and I have to give it credit where credit's due because jump scares are usually pretty bad. But I was like, no, that was a good one. They did, they did that one good. Um, it was handled pretty well. Like, like yeah, I have to get credit because I knew they were gonna do that. But it's still like just the way, like. Yeah, just the way they did, did that sound effect right there. I was like, that's another good use of sound. I'm like, you know. Um, and and they already built context into the scene. It wasn't like... A lot of times when jump scares come in, it's when a movie already sucks and they're just trying desperately. Like, uh, just boo, boo, you know. But it's like this movie, I was already like invested in it for the most part, you know. So, um, yeah, it was just like... Nice little note. I will have to remark on that. Um, and if I've got any other goods, um, well, okay. There's, uh, I think like the, I have issues with like the twist ending, but there, there's part of that ending that I liked. I think just the subtle way that they revealed how the whole family was murdered by the daughter the way it's depicted through her drawing it they don't actually show the body the way they drew it i don't know that was kind of just cool how they shot that i don't know i liked i like that subtlety so anyways yeah i think that would wrap up my goods and now we uh now we can go on with the bads so what was your first bad all right, we're going to bite into this one. Well, we'll start with a... <laughs> this one's just more of a funny one to me. It's just like... How does nobody... like? How does nobody wake up in this house with Ethan Hawke's making all this fucking racket every night? Like, he's like <laughs> shoveling around in the attic, watching fucking videos. Like, I don't know. It just seems like he makes a lot of noise. It's not even only till like, the end where it finally does something logical. Where, like, he's out there like burning all the stuff and then finally the wife comes outside like what are you doing i'm like god it's about time like man like what nobody <laughs> it's like nobody woke up when he was like when he like fell out of the attic before that and then like the fucking the, the films like fell down there on next to him you know just before he started burning stuff and no it took him burning stuff out on the front lawn to make anybody wake up and be like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, how the uh, family sleeps through dead. I mean, through dead a, falling it, through the attic into, yeah. the, into the second floor. Yeah, it was a bad, but I mean, I just found it funny to me. It, it was like, I wouldn't say it like took me out of the movie. I just was kind of amused by it. So I was like, oh, man, like. Yeah, that's some fucking Christmas vacation shit, except the family's home. <laughs> yeah, no shit. I mean, I guess, you you know, you have, like, the son who was, like, sleepwalking, or you know, having the night terrors and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was fucked. Yeah, that was... And, and kind of pointless overall. Well, yeah, that didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, like, I, I didn't even write this down, but, um, yeah, like, I felt like the... It felt like that they that was they were gonna hint at that meaning a little bit more than it actually did, but I guess it was just supposed to be a catalyst for oh, there's bad juju around us, you know. It's like oh, it's like maybe uh, I don't know. The foreshadowing's a little weak there. Yeah, because like it becomes clear that the family might be in danger of being attacked by this demon, and you know, yeah. at the end of the movie, at the end of the movie, that comes into play, but. 
you would think, oh yeah, with the boy having these uh, sleepwalking night terrors, somehow that's that's either going to warn the family or he's going to be spared because the demon's going to look for him, but he's not in his bed because he's off fucking tree climbing in his sleep or some shit. Right. No, it doesn't save his life. It doesn't come into play later. It It's a MacGuffin. Yeah. It doesn't fucking matter. It didn't. It just makes some weird scares and then it doesn't fucking matter. No. It, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they, it just was, yeah, it's, it was basically kind of abandoned at some point. Kind of felt like, yeah. you know, the, the, they kind of took him out, like, like sort of the last stretch of the movie. They didn't really focus on him at all in any of his reactions to what they Yeah, were because doing. he was just meant to be a scare, like, He's just meant to come out of a box and just act like some really fucking whacked out weirdo. And then we find out, oh, no, no he gets night terrors that also makes him well, he, he's like, the, act he, like a ring girl. Well, act he's like Ringu. He's just the other kid that gets killed in each family. He's that placeholder because in each family, like one of the kids survived, you know, the one kid's like, she's yeah. like, oh, the other kid gets killed. And he's that placeholder. Yeah, he shows up, he does a drawing, and then he uh, appears to scream in a scene or two to maybe scare us, and then he just doesn't matter until the end. Yeah, he, apparently he's quite the contortionist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, my first bad is Ethan Hawke calls the cops upon seeing these snuff films that are in his attic and then he immediately and then he hangs up on them after a few after a few seconds of uh of thinking like oh they might take this into evidence and then i've got no story yeah you know it's it's a good thing the police can't trace calls unless they've been like open for like 60 whole seconds yeah, because like, to be fair, don't they have to be on the line a certain amount of time? No. If the call is connected, it can be traced. Yeah. <laughs> like, the whole thing on TV was just like, oh, you got to keep them on for five more minutes. Like, fuck you. The That's operator, like, the switchboard system has already connected you. All like, right? That shit can instantly be logged and traced because you've been connected. Yeah, especially probably 2012, right? Yeah. I mean, you, they could trace calls that they've connected back in, like, the fucking telegraph days. Now, that would take a little extra time, because you have to actually go through the logs and... Oh, sure. And, and such, and, like, have the operator, like, actually flip through the whole thing. But, you know, by 2012, there was definitely some computerized shit logging these connections. Yeah. So saying like, oh, you got you to keep them on the call for like 60 seconds. No. And this is the fucking police. If anybody's got quick access to this, it's them. Yeah. So yeah. someone's calling 911 and you def and he, he called 911. It's not like he called like, uh, not like he looked up the local police department's regular phone number. Yeah. Like. And it's not like 911 wouldn't have a procedure because think about this: if someone's in a dangerous situation, they call nine one one, and the villain or like the the person who's threatening them finds them, they're gonna hang up the phone. Mm -hmm. So do you think the police are gonna be like, "Well, I guess it wasn't an emergency then"? No, you think it, they would come to them like, "Oh, oh maybe they were found. Maybe we should 
look into where this came from. Yeah, right. Because, <laughs> you know, if someone's calling 911, you have to assume shit's hit... You have to assume shit has hit the fan and they're in a bad situation. Until yeah. you find out, like, no, 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 they were just, like, swatting their neighbor because they're an asshole or... You know, just some 13-year-old who needed a laugh. Yeah. And a beating. Oh, uh, yeah, it's just the asshole writer who moved into the murdered family's house that we all hate, you know? <laughs> yeah, that you think that would be a good excuse to put them on thin ice, like, like they would show up later, and they're like, oh, we received a 911 call, is everything okay? And then, then he pisses off the police department for wasting their time. Yeah. And then that creates some discord between him and the cops. Yeah, sure. That That would be, that would take something, that would take an illogical step they did, make it a logical step, and help it feed the story. Yeah. Well, somebody didn't think that through. Yeah. I mean, like, heaven forbid the cops can't trace calls. <laughs> nope. No, hey, no, these are just podunk country cops. They don't They don't know no tracing calls. No, that, that, no, that's, that, that's that future tip, all right? Hey, we ain't, we're, this is not the Jetsons, all right? <laughs> You gotta you gotta go to Mavis down at the switchboard yeah. and uh, bribe her with some sweet candies and see if yeah. you can <laughs> just yeah, see if you can get slick, the logs. These slick Hollywood writers just think all these product towns can't trace calls. I guess I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So what's your next bad? Um. Well, all right. The whole dog scene is fucking pointless and just kind of dumb. I don't know what the, like. I, I felt like it just really fell out of place and it just kind of pads the whole runtime of the movie and and I don't know sometimes this movie gets really confused about what actually is scary to an audience and I, I okay maybe for some people if they if you had bad memories of getting bit by a dog or attacked by a dog I it's understandable but I don't know it just felt very like out of place too like that dog really has like where I guess it was like the Maybe one of the family's dogs, but I just, I don't know. It just was really random why that was even in there. Like, they could have just deleted that altogether, you know? And because I, I do feel like this movie goes on a little bit too long, and that was one of the scenes they could have just edited out. Um, doesn't really add to the plot, and there's just nothing about it that's really, like, spooky, you know? Yeah, my next, uh, my next bad. Uh, the decent music at the start, but the asterisk is the music was great until it eventually just becomes an utterly discordant mess as the guy makes one of his many trips to the projector room. And the music, it, it, like, if you want to make it, like, uh, his his reality is is starting to unravel. You can make the music still sound like it's, like it's falling apart, but you don't have to make it an assault on my ears. <laughs> you can make it sound like everything's falling apart, like notes are out of place, but you don't have to add like crackles and hisses and uh, like high pitched like the music just peaking. Yeah, well, they had this really weird discordant song at the point where he's, like, burning all of this stuff. And 
Well, I don't know. I kind of like that musical composition, but it's pretty grating on the ears over time. You know? Yeah, it it eventually falls into, like, uh, it stops being music. And it's just degraded noise and glitch cuts. And and again, the fucking peak screams. Where it's just like... Is... Is... It's... Well, I can't do it, but it's like different pitches all just rising and shifting where it's supposed to be like a screen that got like cut up into a bunch of pieces and then like played out of order. Yeah. It's like, I fucking hate it. It's often found in found footage movies, but this movie involves some found footage. It's still not a great thing. (laughs) Yeah. I I'm all about it though. And it's like, (laughs) it's like, it reminds me of like silent Hill type shit. And that stuff is, it's supposed to make you kind of go a little crazy. <laughs> I don't mind industrial, which which seems like it can have like a little uh, degraded, trashy uh, sound in it. Like uh, the Silent Hill video games, like Silent Hill 2 and 3. Like if you just like start those games, the uh, the industrial guitar that uh, that kicks off those start menus and those levels, it's... I mean, I wouldn't listen to it on its own. Yeah, but no, like it suits the it suits the game. Yeah, I think what I like even reminisce of like Silent Hill One, which has a couple good tracks in it that I would like enjoy listening to. As like, but a lot of the other stuff in it is not stuff I would like listening to on its own. But when I'm in that game, it, it's like it's not pleasant on the ears but it is pleasant from the sense of like well you know it well, it's supposed to, it makes me feel uncomfortable it, like i hate it but i also i also like it in the context that it's in you know i was like well yeah. shit if you were really trying to make me very disoriented and uncomfortable well yeah you're doing that <laughs> it didn't do it it did that at the beginning uh-huh. But as it got later on, it just decided, hey, how about we, like, what if Nine Inch Nails treated their studio like the Who treats a, ho- treats a hotel room? Yeah. But, and then yeah. we just call that music, and then we just put it in there. Yeah. I, I don't know if it really stood out to me as much. I, I think it only really, maybe that one song I think of where it's towards the end, they played at the end credits. That one gets kind of on my nerves, where it's like this oh, counting in the that, background. That was its own... That was its own bad. The end credits music really fucking pissed me off. Yeah, that one kind of got on my nerves. But I don't know. I, I don't really... I didn't really notice so much of the other stuff as often. I just... I, I don't know. I kind of found the sound a little bit interesting. I don't know. It's like, oh, this is... Kind of reminds me a little bit of like Silent Hill type shit. I, I don't know. It's better than some of the same screechy violin shit that I hear that's in like... Was in like a lot of mid-2000s horror... Or it's like in every mid two thousands like haunting movie, um, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's a subjective thing. Yeah. So, what's your next bad? Um. So, okay. So, like the like the twist ending, right? They, they it's it's very foreshadowed. In fact, way too heavily foreshadowed. If you ask me. Uh, like, because they basically just give it away at the point where they have, like, the fucking 
uh, the Stevenson daughter, like, show up uh, and, you know, to sort of beckon the uh, the other daughter. And then it's, like, literally the drawing of Boo Ghouls on the wall. And it, it's, it's a very obvious hint that it's going to have the little girl, like, basically turn on everybody, you know? They should not have had that scene in there. In fact, I actually thought that scene could have been just taken out. And it's a very ham-fisted, ooh, look, creepy child moment. And, yeah, I feel like it just kind of spoils that ending, which otherwise I'm all for. I think it was kind of a good twist ending, but they they foreshadowed it way too much. Um, so, yeah, they, they kind of gave it away there. And, uh, yeah, and it's kind of a shame because there, there was some cool payoffs in that. I liked that, but uh, now it's like when you already saw it coming like that, it's, it was just a bad use of it was a good use and then a bad use because they threw that scene in there. There there were some more subtle things where it was like the little girl's like, Okay, can we go back home, home, home? And they, they talk about it at the beginning of the movie. Uh, that's kind of cool to look back on, but uh yeah, not just that extra scene in there really um yeah, it, it gives away what otherwise could be a good ending, you know? Yeah, um, another one of my bads was, uh, burnt the reels, found them again, and decided to splice them together instead of just burning them again or burying them or, you know, chopping them up and separating them. <laughs> he wanted his extended cuts. Yeah. Yeah, he just puts them together again. I mean... So, what's your next bad? Uh, I I think it's just all the all the footage. Okay, so when they were showing like the extended cut footage with like the kids and all that, like in them, I saw it look didn't look right. I, in fact, if anything, I felt like all the ghost kids, like all their makeup and stuff, looked very cheap and just they they just weren't very creepy. They look kind of just. Like out of place, it, it seemed kind of corny every time they would show like, "Oh, the creepy ghost kids," you know. It's like, it just doesn't work. Like it, it's, it's an overused trope, and it's it's not the worst use of it I've seen in a movie. Because I again, I gotta give them credit that they didn't do the crazy ghost kid scream, any of that crap. But, um. I just felt like they didn't really look scary. Their makeup looked like just Spirit of Halloween, 10-minute makeup job. And just, I just don't find that very, like, I just don't find that very scary at all, you know? Um, or, you know, they could have just maybe used some more dynamic lighting whenever they showed the kids and then just show them less. Um, yeah, just just wasn't feeling it, you know? Didn't look good. Seemed corny. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh... uh Mini Bad was great to see Kingpin, but why was he uncredited? That's fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I know, assholes. And it's like... And I would have liked to actually see him not through a screen. You know, I would have liked to actually see him, like, in a live scene, too. Yeah, <laughs> show up to the house. Yeah, right? Yeah. There's like some scenes they could have cut out to put in some more scenes with D'Onofrio in it, you know? Like, 
like the dog scene, just take that out and maybe just less ghost kids. You know, I'm not saying not have the ghost kids, but just have less. Like, don't lean on that so much as like a, a you know, like, oh, look, oh, or you know, it's like make them look terror, like make them look more creepy. I don't know, they just look so. Yeah, I'm I'm fixated on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm all for more kingpin. Yeah, and uh, my big bad, not my last bad, but just my big bad is. Uh, at the end when it's revealed that uh, that the boogeyman is possessing these children to kill their families and Ethan Hawke just fucking felt, he, he dragged his family kicking and screaming into the pattern that sets it up because like the big, the big thing is that every family sees these movies or sees the demon then they move to another house and that's when they're killed by their their now possessed kid. It's such a fucking convoluted thing in and of itself. It like fall like I don't know. It's like waiting there at the house, and then I guess it gets latched on to get carried on to another place. It's kind of like a like an intestinal parasite that jumps between species. Yeah, like well, like that fungus that makes the mouse piss in the middle of a room or a hmm. field so that a cat will come along and eat it so it can finish its puberty cycle inside the cat's intestines because yeah. that's where it needs to go. Yeah, like somehow it like it yeah, it like pupates or becomes I don't know, yeah, like somewhere in that when it goes through those mucous membranes passing, you know. Yeah, so that's what this thing does. It 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 makes you see the the image in one house, it's supposed to fucking scare you off, so you go to another house. And then that's when it can reach its maturity phase. And then it will make the kid kill you. Yeah. I I, I guess, you know, it's one of those things where people, if they want to, like, sit there and talk about it for hours on end. But it's maybe some place where maybe our our boy D'Onofrio could have came in and dropped a little more explanations. He talks a little vaguely about this. It's like it, like... They believe he like lived in the images. Yeah, it's only briefly explained by the cop in a fucking phone call. Yeah. Oh yeah, he just says it at the end. I, I really didn't have any problem with them kind of dropping it like that, you know, even though the ending's a little rushed, but uh just uh, maybe a little more context on what understanding why this thing does what it does and why it does Also it, it should have com- it should have come from D'Onofrio since he's the fucking professor. Yeah. Yeah, they had this weird guy uh he kind of looked like some weird like knockoff bruce campbell to me <laughs> well it's weird nerdy awkward knockoff bruce campbell cop but eh, he's okay yeah he kind of looked like the guy from uh do you remember the uh, the belco experiment the guy that killed michael rucker oh yes <laughs> it looks like him yeah dude yeah his like assistant or whatever or yeah yeah like, yeah so everything I said was just a preface what comes, like what actually is my my bad. Because when Ethan Hawke realizes, like he gets a call like, oh no, like, it, you know, it's, it's coming from inside the house, it's too late. He passes out and then he realizes that his uh, food has been drugged and he wakes up, he sees his family tied up and his, and his sleepwalking kid, not sleepwalking, just fucking tied up, regular ass style. <laughs> All that screaming was didn't come in handy, you know nothing. The family's tied up, the little girl, his daughter, 
who now reveals she's been possessed by this demon for quite some time, is now using a Super 8 to record what she's about to do to the family. And then, like, it doesn't show it specifically. It just shows, like, the axe coming down and then, like, blood is all over the, the walls and shit. So, clearly, she she did it. And then she ends up making, like, a new uh, reel called, like, uh, what was it? Uh, like, house painting or, like... Yeah, house painting. Family renovations or something. Yeah. <laughs> they they called it... Oh, she called the... Uh, they called the video house painting. Yeah. Now, here's the bad. Why is she using a Super 8 to record the kills? Now, I understand earlier kills from the 60s, 70s, and 80s being made on film, but for fuck's sakes, this is in the post-2000s. Yeah, where do they get a Super 8 camera, right? Yeah, and if it lives on by possessing people who behold its image, the smart thing to do would be, would be to use the father's digital camcorder that yeah. he's been using throughout this whole fucking thing and use that to load pictures of the demon onto the internet. Yeah, well... But you know, like up? a snuff... You, you could have made it like a snuff film on, like, Rotten.com. Well... Or some fake news article linking him to the famous kill of the Arthur. Yeah. Or or even turn Bagul into a meme. Have his face posted off... Have his face posted with, like, when you order Slenderman off Wish.com. Well... Because analog horror is way cooler. Do you really want this to be another Fear.com, though? It's like, oh, God. That... I never saw Fear.com. <laughs> oh. Was that supposed to be, like, a website where you see your death or something? It, it was one of those, like, gimmicky movies that came out, like, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it was like, oh, yeah, the online craze. And just that. Okay. Well, the thing Let's, is, you can't, we're also you can't talk, just... We're also talking about a ghost here that manifests his tapes out of nowhere that show up in an attic, so I'm sure he would probably manifest a Super 8 camera to make more of these movies, because it's like, he's he's fucking hipster, alright? He's, he's, <laughs> he's a fucking hipster demon, alright? It looks cooler. I like... You know... I think the aesthetic of analog horror looks cooler. Like, I, I think it looks better when you watch through that rather than me watching it on a smartphone camera. <laughs> Yeah, although, like, the image, the the idea that he would spread his awareness now, because throughout all these decades, he didn't have the internet. So now that it does exist, why wouldn't he use it? Because he can propagate his his image instead of going from family to family. Now he can go across nations in an instant. All he has to do is just take, like, his own picture and then, like, pass it around like a chain letter to send it to kids on their phones and be like, if you see this image, you're going to kill your family. You know, like they did with that fucking bird statue of Momo, and they're just like, if you see this pop up on your phone, you're gonna die. <laughs> like my nephew told me about this weird thing. It, it was like that weird bird eye, uh, that weird bird with the big eyes. Yeah. It was some Japanese statue, but it got passed around like a horror meme. Like, like this will make you commit suicide if you look at it. Or you could have just had Bagul pass around like that, and all the kids would be like, "Yeah, I'll fucking Candyman myself." Yeah, why not? Yeah. And, like, boom, the Earth becomes Lord of the Flies as the only kids left are orphans. As soon as it hits the internet, boom, all parents are dead in a month. (laughs) And and there's no excuse for this demon to use outdated media because the professor shows that it used to use frescoes and tablets and scrolls. Yeah. And so its image had to be erased from those things. So it's just just a thoughtless... 
He's just a boomer, okay? Cause he's, <laughs> I mean, seriously, he started doing this stuff. Well, at least they they traced the chain back to, like, the 60s, right? So he's just still stuck in the, you know, he, he he's like the fucking, I don't know, like a boomer dad that just hasn't moved on from, like, fucking camcorders from the 80s, you know? Yeah, but his, his, uh, his, his influence nearly died because people got wise and wiped out all images of him from history. So you think the internet would be his last ditch effort to just hit the world in a place that, in a way that can't be deleted. Yeah. Well, it, it would guarantee his, his safety, his, yeah. his continue, his continuation. Like, eh, well, it's like, like, just imagine the implications of a conceptual possession taking hold in the internet world. It, the sequel could be like some techno exorcist shit, like the Matrix well, goes to hell. You know, there is a sequel to this movie, and it's terrible. Yeah, do you know what it's about, though? Uh, not exactly. Yeah, I, I just heard it's pretty bad. But, uh, you know, maybe that maybe that's what they go into. <laughs> I uh, looked into it on Wikipedia. Apparently, the cop ends up trying to hunt down the demon after the writer dies. Uh no. And the writer and his family dies. It's the no. cop. Terrible. And he still, he Dude. still doesn't have a fucking name. Officer so and so. Yeah, he's in. He's still officer so and so uh, in the fucking fuck. sequel. Oh my god. So. Oh my god. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, yeah. imagine is, a techno. Uh, yeah. Imagine a techno exorcist. Like you'd have like some priest with like wraparound shades, like a fucking hacker. And he'd be like having to like write code with like power of Christ dot HTML. <laughs> trying to like exercise the internet. That yeah. would have been fucking great. It would be like Lawnmower Man meets Spawn. Yeah, that would just At the very least the house painting film would be on a USB stick. Yeah. It, it just it, seems like manifesting a Super 8 film stock seems like a fucking waste of demonic energy. Right. I feel like they Yeah, it just Plus, the next family it. that finds it, how are they gonna? How do you expect them to even know what a fucking projector is? <laughs> let alone how to use one or feed it. Oh sure, I mean it's, it's so risky. It's so risky. You're just expecting the next generation to be like, well, the fuck is this thing? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go TP my my house with this. I would have sold it probably. Be like, oh, look at this vintage thing. I wouldn't have known how to use it. Like, yeah, you know. Or as soon as you watch it, you're just like, fuck this. I'm sending it to the cops. This is clearly yeah. evidence. But I think when we come down to it, it's like. I don't know if sometimes, like, even though there's stuff that makes sense, does it really work for the aesthetic of a movie? Like, sometimes I have to take a step back. I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot more logical sense, but... Well, if so, you got to make it a period piece because it doesn't make sense in today's world. It's like an... it's It would be a great idea in the 80s if this is how shit existed, like... You know, we have different medias like Laserdisc, VHS, and yes, some Super 8s are still floating around, even though they're still on their way out. Yeah, Hell, yeah. Hell, even Laserdiscs were, were, on, were out completely by the late 80s. Right. But at least you could say like, oh yeah, my dad has a, my dad has a Super 8 projector. Yeah. That's what teenagers would say in the 80s. 
but nobody's dad, hell, nobody's grandpa would have a fucking Super 8 projector in 2012. Oh, sure. But, uh... So, yeah, if you want to make the Super 8 part of the story, you can't... You, you can't have it in today's world. You gotta, you gotta dial back the settings. Yeah. Make it take place in, like, the, uh, the late 80s, at the latest. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I just read up a lot, of, like, they creatively they made this decision because of like people's like it sort of was supposed to trigger a bit of nostalgia for people who maybe a lot of people who grew up like who watched this maybe they didn't grow up with those exactly but they probably knew somebody had like people that they grew up with as a kid probably had some of these movies they kind of triggered more of like an old retro feel i guess you know? i never knew anybody that had a super eight well, or at least projector, pro- or projector. yeah. I was like, I don't know. I mean, my fucking, um, not my grandfather himself, but, you know, like a friend of my grandfather's had some, you know, I, I don't know. And it's like thinking of like, even just watching Christmas Vacation, you know, it's like, it's not me having those projectors, but I watched somebody watching movies on a projector. I don't know. I guess he was trying to do analog horror, but it's like... It, you know, it's kind of weird doing that in 2012, and it's a contemporary movie. So, I mean, yeah, I see what you're saying. It's still weird doing, like, VHS shit in in modern times. Yeah. It's, I don't know. People kind of deliberately do it now just because it's like, a, it's like. It's like they're going for the gimmick rather than actually making the gimmick work with the premise. Yeah, yeah. It's an aesthetic, but not really, it's not really doesn't really properly set it, it up contextually. Yeah, it just seems like we're going, like, we're going to go for the retro angle. Like, does the retro angle serve this this premise, though? Yeah. yeah you know. I mean, I kind of like the idea of, like, the monster using the internet to make its image go viral, and then, boom, how the fuck do you contain something like that that just explodes sure. across the world? Yeah. Then that sets up like a real threat. Like it goes from being like an intimate setting of, you know, like one family being tormented to guess what? Now it's the world's problem. Right. Boom. That and boom. That's where the movie ends. So you don't have to have like a major tone shift throughout one movie and just being like, oh, I'm getting whiplash because where the fuck is this movie going? You could have it be like a family movie, and then. Boom, at the very last second, it's a global thing. And you're like, oh, shit, now it's every family's in danger. Boom. That sets up the premise that can take on a whole. So it doesn't end up being a copy of the first movie. Yeah. And can be a totally new type of movie while still carrying on the uh, the, the the premise. Sure. Yeah, you know. I got one more bad, but how about you? Don't think I got anything else, no. The family is broke, according to the dad. <laughs> oh, who, yeah. Uh, you know, he has to move to the, the, the middle of bumfuck Kentucky so that he can so we can write up Oh go on. Yeah. That, I yeah, you were you were <laughs> you, you were going where old, I'm going. The back into the old mansion house. I was a little confused by that. Yeah. They they're they're broke. They have two mortgages and then he's like, Oh, we're broke actually, so what so that and but but you guys He can so, move back. To his original house overnight, as if he was holding on to both just in case. Like, were no other owners coming in? Did he not sell the original house? Is he squatting in someone's someone's new house now? 
<laughs> like, how, how is anyone going to relate to some non-millionaire well, who can just move several states on a whim overnight and afford it and not get tied up in legal crap? <laughs> oh, just sell that. I mean, he, like, got the house basically for free. So it's like, well, it looks like you can't just sell that house uh, to help pay for the... Yeah. Well, they... You could have just had him go to any house and just be like, oh, I'm, I'm just <laughs> renting it off B&B yeah. or... Ooh. They could have just left that, like, not said that at all. Like, just not say that he was broke because it did kind of create a weird confusion there because they said he had two mortgages and that they were doing this voluntarily. But I don't know. I guess they were trying to add more weight to the fact that he's, like, desperately trying to hit their next big hit. But it Yeah, he he, it he creates... said, like, oh, yeah, I'm here for this. But then he tells the family, like, no, we had to move here because yeah, we can't he, afford to, he, to live in the old house. We're broke. Well, you guess what? You can't afford to live in the old house because you just moved back into it. Yeah, because he just chose. Yeah. They, so, yeah, it kind of negates whatever he just said. It's a contradiction. Yeah. Um, I, I sort of, like, I wrote something about it, but I just didn't really know like i was like maybe i should watch this again and see if there's something i missed but like uh yeah i was like you said you guys are paying two mortgages so i was like okay if you didn't say that it would have made sense that you could just move back over there because you're still paying for that house obviously you can afford to pay for it i don't i didn't recall him hearing that he's paying two mortgages i yeah, recall him saying that he moved he said to that the big this whole no, he I said he that he moved to the setting because he couldn't they, afford the market. He said that er, no, he said that early in the movie. He's like, okay, well, we'll like, yeah, we won't have, we can start getting more when we're not paying two mortgages. Is what he said. It's like, oh yeah, once like the book starts rolling, and then we'll really be on easy street. When they're at the dinner hmm. table in the, early in the movie, he says, yeah, yeah, he's bargaining with the kids, saying like, I promise, I'll I'll move back and. Well, he's like, okay, they're, yeah, he's mad because they're eating Chinese takeout, but he's like, yeah, well, once they're not, like, paying two mortgages, we'll start to be able to eat better and have more, have more stuff here at this house, I guess. Um, so he just, the, so they didn't move so much as they just bought a second house while holding on to the first one. Yeah, like, that's what they, yeah, that's what they led me to believe, and then he says this later, so I was like, oh, so they didn't, so he's not paying for that house anymore, he's just over here. So what they seem to say is like, oh, I'm going to loot. What I thought he was saying later in the movie was like, okay. And it kind of made sense there for a second. I was like, okay, so he's been lying to her about that too. And he's actually like, you know, he's about to lose that house. But then, yeah, that's where it's confusing. I agree because it's like they, they move back into that house. So I was like, so you're not losing this house? I mean, you say you're broke. So... It's like, what is this? Are you guys on top of your mortgage payment or not? You yeah, they're fir they're first world broke. We only have two homes. Yeah, exactly. Oh no, we're gonna lose the fake. I feel lose. no fucking sympathy for him and his bougie family getting yeah. whacked. Oh no, I I, I I certainly don't. I mean, yeah, he dragged him into it because he just had to write this book so badly, and he's he thinks. Uh, he thinks he's Listen, Truman. Listen, if I don't, if he thinks he's Truman sell, fucking Capote. All right. If this book doesn't sell, we may not get a third home. <laughs> nope. And and these victims will not get justice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's not like we can rely on the police to do that. Yeah. But uh, no, this is just a. Yeah, <clears throat> this is a story about a. Guy wants to write a book so bad that he, he does some pretty dumb things.
Yeah, so now we can take it to the what the fucks. And I've only got one what the fuck. Yep. Why does Ethan Hawke look like Kevin Dillon? He looks yeah. like Johnny Drama from Entourage. You mean Matt Dillon? No, Kevin Dillon. Kevin. You know, the guy oh. that was in the blog. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I know Kevin Dillon. Yeah, I guess I kind of see that, yeah. But, I don't know, he just kind of looks the same. I've seen him in, like... He still looks the same as he looked in that fucking modern Hamlet adaptation. Okay, so uh, do you have any what the fucks? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I would just say fucking Trevor's contortionist ability coming out of that box. <laughs> He's like, ah! <laughs> well, I guess that was kind of a screaming kid right there. <laughs> now that I mentioned it, but... Uh, you know, that, that was, that was just unexpected. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> I don't know what you want to think of that. That was just a what the fuck. Didn't even pay off. Yeah. And no, it didn't go anywhere. That's just like, yeah, that's just the craziest depiction of a night terror. I think somebody, I think they were trying to do some weird, like, like kind of some homage to the exorcist, you know, like kind of the whole backwards crab walk down the stairs <laughs> i don't know yeah the, like you think that would happen like at the end when she's stalking the house when she goes to type the brother he just like well i would have curls from a ball scares the fuck out of the demon and then like the well, little girl's just like what the hell happened to me and then like, the demon got scared by the kid I, and boom yeah, I would have, uh, you know what I thought like would have been better to use that night terror thing is if they would have used it uh, at like, okay, he'd been having it for a long time. If they had built it up as like Boogle has been kind of like, like on this family longer than they knew, you know, like these night terrors are, you know, actually being caused by Boogle, but they get more intense and eventually there's kind of like. You know, if they had more of some context there, you know, or maybe it's like sort of subtly hinted that, you know, he'd kind of been, you know, in in their lives and slowly kind of emerging a bit more in the form of these night terrors. They intensify as his presence gets stronger. You know, at least that would have added a little more meaning to all of that. And, and just tied it into the rest of the story. Yeah, and uh, I guess now we can take it to the kill of the week. And I'm going to say the kills are mostly cutaways and implied. Yeah. And I don't much care for that. If you're going to show a kill, actually show it, not like... Oh, here comes the cameraman. Here's the ca here's the lawnmower. Here's the cameraman. Boom. And then like you just see someone like recoil. Like I want to see the effects. I want to see a bit of gore. This left me wanting. The only time we get to see a kill happen in its entirety is the tree hanging. Yeah. Everything else is just like there's a lawnmower, so you're just going to assume the family got chopped up with the lawnmower. Yeah. Or there's the family going in the pool. Well, you can kind of see them going into the pool, and that's it. So, the tree hanging is the only thing we get to see happen and end. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. 
But, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, for a movie that's supposed to be full of kills, the fact that there's only one that's actually shown is a little... It's a little... It leaves me wanting. It's got a lot of deaths in it, but yeah, there isn't much shown. But I actually, I don't know, that was something I thought was a good thing about a movie. Like, I like a movie that can still... I don't know, sometimes I... I like when a movie puts some imagery in my head rather than always just feeds it to me. But, you know, it's... it's kind of, you need it, like, could have, it could have mixed and matched where it did some. Yeah, yeah that's a fair point. I'm just saying, like, you know, I'm not going to necessarily rule it out if they do that. But, uh, you know, if, it, if it's done well, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, there really isn't a lot of visceral, like they could have made this a little more visceral though. I agree. Could have been some more graphic shit though, but I, I, yeah, I respect a good cutaway kill where it just kind of feeds my imagination. Like I actually like that they didn't show the whole family literally being chopped up. I like that they did depicted it through a, a drawing that was effective, but then some other kills. I was like, "Oh man, let's!" I, I want to see that family roasting alive. They got burned in their car, you know, <laughs> you know, some shit like that. <laughs> like one of them pops out and he's like rolling around on the ground, all on fire or something. All like Ricky Bobby. Yeah. Oh, I'm on fire! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm on fire! Oh god, oh god! This is not a proper use of propane, Bobby. Right? <laughs> Help me, Tom Cruise! <laughs> god, so stupid. <laughs> but anywho, yeah. No, oh, no, I, I think yeah. It's like I, I agree, but you know, at least I gotta point out that. Um, well, let's see. Oh, I guess, yeah, you said the hanging from the tree was the your kill of the week? Yeah, it's the only one we actually see. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, because that's the only one that shows the most of it, but uh, I, I would I would probably say the... Mm, the, the yeah, I don't know, the one that the, the, the family being roasted alive in the, in the car, I guess, you know. That that you don't really show it, but that, that at least fed enough to my imagination. What was the one you saw? What was the one you picked? The the barbecue one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that one had it was the most graphically implied. Yeah. Like you don't <laughs> see it, but like that okay, that was an example of a one where I was like, I don't need to see it. I already kinda know that's pretty you know. But some other ones where I guess the one where they were like sleeping and I guess they slit their throats and stuff. That's like, that should be bloodier. Okay. You know, if you're doing throat slitting and all that, that's, I mean, you know, gush it out. Look, make it look more fucking grotesque. Like, did you ever, actually, we might talk about it, but like, uh, it might be a lot of the, not Red Dragon, but Manhunter. It was like the 80s version of the book adaptation of Red Dragon. But whenever Detective William Graham is like uh, investigating the murder scene after they've already pulled the bodies out, but they haven't cleaned anything up, and you see the blood splatter all over the walls, the murder scene, he's trying to piece together the whole thing. That should just look nasty. You don't see the bodies or anything. You just see the blood splatter, and you just know this was a grisly-ass murder. And... Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Manhunter yet, but we got to put that on the show, apparently. Yeah, we should. Um, uh, I, I really like that one. I, I kind of actually like it better than Red Dragon. But, 
Yeah, no, that, that, that'd be a good one. It's got, uh, oh, what's his name from CSI? Um, oh, fuck, I'll have to... Well, before we get way too... William Peterson. Yeah, William Peterson, who was on the original CSI. He plays Will Graham. Uh, Brian Cox plays Hannibal Lecter. And then, uh, you know, he's only in it for a brief... And then Tom Noonan is the uh, the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, and Tom Noonan, yeah, is perfect, you know, so. Yeah, it's a great one. It's, it's a good... Uh, good companion movie but yeah i don't know that that scene yeah you know when we watch it you'll see what scene i'm talking about it it's like i i felt like they could have done that a bit better yeah so now we can give it the rating and i'm gonna give it three really green teas out of five <laughs> i mean that guy's tea at the end of the movie looks fucking radioactive oh yeah i thought that was supposed to be his I guess it makes sense as his tea. I was like, I thought it was supposed to be his coffee. Like, they were foreshadowing because, you know, how earlier they made him... Like, she went and brought her... Brought him her coffee. She brought him his coffee earlier in the movie. And she's like, you know how, like, you know, your dad's really particular about his coffee and stuff. And then he gets, like, you know, he, like, drinks the coffee and gets poisoned by it. I was like, oh, it's a little callback. I get what they're trying to do. <laughs> So I'm going to give that three green teas out of five. It had it had moments and uh, had genuine tension. But, uh, you know, I don't need a movie to assault my ears with garbage noise during scenes and, like, calling it a soundtrack. <laughs> and also the detective seems underused considering all the work he does and how he, he discovers all this shit about the demons and and how involved he becomes, like... Given all the information he finds out and how he's supposed to be getting really... You don't know if he's actually, like, getting close to the detective. I kind of thought that he would be, like, the demon in disguise. Like, he's way too close with this writer. Yeah. He keeps showing up. He keeps calling him. Like, I expected him to show up to be, like... Like, like, and, like he ends up, like, standing this guy. Like... Yeah. Well, I mean, like, like dear a... Mr. Hawk, I wrote, but you still ain't calling. Yeah. Uh, he he's clearly, I mean, well, he indicates that he's educated. He's not just some, uh... Yeah, but I kind of thought that would be the giveaway where it turns out, like, he's smart because he's obsessed. Well, yeah, like, you know, he's somehow unhealthily connect, like, he's connected to all these things, like, a negative way. I mean, he's some kind of, you know, keeper for Boogle, for Mr. Boogie. He's yeah. the he's the real Mr. Boogie, all right. <laughs> or he's, at least he's his Renfield. Or yeah, but or, still, I I did just, think that he would be the god, that he would we, be the demon, like in his day job. Yeah, we find out it's a big twist. There's no demon at all. It's just him the whole time. He just gives everybody drugs. He's like the scarecrow. He just gives everyone drugs and makes them think like he's like a demon and shit. Or, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that could have worked. I, you know, I when I first watched this movie, because this is my second time watching it, I, I, it's something I thought maybe I wondered they were gonna play that angle that it's like, oh, it's just kind of he's kind of created it in his head because he's kind of going so far down the rabbit hole trying to obsessively write this the next best-selling crime novel, you know? But nope. Just just roads unexplored, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it was 
fine, not great. And given the uh, given the sequel, you got pretty bad rate reviews, and the premise is dumb. So the franchise, I kind of hope that it's done and that we can move on to a different idea. Yeah, it's definitely not a movie I felt like really even set up a sequel in any way. Um, you know, yeah, like, um, I think I, I'll give this one, um, I think it's a standalone movie. I don't know if you don't really, if you t- I, I give it a, I give it a, I'd say four shoddy makeup, creepy children out of five. If you kind of discount the second movie. Um, I don't know. I think it's a pretty good standalone horror flick, you know. It's uh it's definitely a movie you can pick apart quite a bit. Um, but I think for just I think for a movie that just kind of conveys a feeling, it does that well. You know, um kind of a movie I if I I sort of shut off my brain and sort of enjoy the ride and uh you know, it, it's it reminds me of a lot of those like suspense thrillers of like the um the late nineties and stuff that you don't see those as often. Um and you know, I it has a couple little good little jump scares and builds tension and some uh and, and slowly escalates. And, and you know you know, you got a strong cast in this too, so you got a good lead. Um it's a it's a very good, enjoyable, watchable horror movie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if this movie was either made in or took place in the 90s, I may have had like a, I think there would have been like a few less problems, but there was also like a lot of misdirections, like the, like the kid, the dog. Yeah, those are, that like the cop, like the cop has like a, has a, an unreasonable interest in this, in, in this guy's life. Like he believes him way too conveniently. Well, he's... We, we should see some shit on the cop's end where, like, he does some background. Like, we only see him showing up and he's just like, yeah, okay, yeah, let, let, let's look into this. I believe you. Like, yeah, why? Well, okay, I, I kind of give that away. I did forgive that a little bit because I'm like, all right, he's just really excited to work with his fucking favorite author of all time kind of thing. I was like, all right, you know. Yeah, but you could have had that done the other way where he gives him, like, where he doesn't actually find anything so he just gives him like fake information just so we can like just so he'll like yeah him just and, so and, yeah like, pretend just, to be productive yeah well, you know he just wants to do a good job for him you know <laughs> yeah i i do feel like just his role is a bit like just it was a bit underused you know they they kind or of even used... better have even better have the cop get killed because he got too close he yeah. actually did find some images of the guy and then he gets killed by him for some reason, I because it's been quite a while since I first seen the movie. Um, it, um, I thought he died, but I was like, oh, I guess I was wrong. But so I was like, I thought that cop died. I remember seeing him. I was like, oh yeah, I remember he died somehow in the movie. I just can't remember. May have been the sequel because again, he ends up looking for like other missing children oh, that were taken by Bagul, and he tries to like either save them or kill them. Yeah, see, that's where it gets stupid. Like where you're already like. This is like thing where, yeah, the, I can already tell it's gonna be stupid because you're now you've already over-explained the monster. Now there's no mystery, there's no mystery, there's no mystique. 
he's overly humanized and i guess i could just tack that on at the end that's like i i feel like they show the entity too much to where now he's too much of a oh he's this iconic villain we can all build a whole franchise and make like 10 sequels about you know and and he also kind of looks a little too much like jigsaw you know <laughs> but yeah I don't know. Apparently, they, apparently they uh, they wanted to make like a crossover between this and Insidious. Yeah, yeah. And it's I, I feel like this movie has some of the same issues that Insidious has, but like, uh, yeah, it's I don't know. It, it's flawed, but I, you know, it's definitely it's definitely one of the better movies of that time period. I'd say of horror, uh, especially around stuff that I was watching around that year. Man, there's a lot of forgettable Netflix horror movies I watched around that time. Uh, so this this one was at least better of those. Um, yeah. <laughs> so did you give you a rating? Oh yes, I gave I gave it a four out of five. I, I say yeah, despite its flaws, I, I think it's still pretty good. Uh, it's a good horror movie. Um, yeah, and I, I would recommend his uh, this director's other movie, The Black Phone. He did recently it came out like last year. Uh, I enjoyed that one; it was pretty good. Also with Ethan Hawke. That's I think that was adapted from a book as well. I think so. Uh, also a horror movie, but yeah, just definitely a different tone. Yeah, yeah I was just looking up Sinister too. And uh, it got a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, was it the same director? Did he do Sinister 2 or is it a different person? Was it Scott uh, No, this one was directed by Ciaran Foy, an hmm. Irish film director known for writing, uh, directing and writing Citadel. But it was written by Scott and C. Robert. So... It was written by the same guys and produced by the same fellows. The oh. only thing different was the director. Oh, I see. And, uh, yeah, the ex-deputy so-and-so is James Ranson. Like, they just, they make him the main guy in the movie, but not good enough to get a fucking name. <laughs> right. They couldn't even bring back Vincent D'Onofrio? No. So apparently he goes to find all the kids that have been taken and uh, like they're all in a church or someplace. And yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fucking dumb. So that's sinister. Yeah. Some nice ideas, but I felt that it was uh, like they, they, they threw too much into the pot. Yeah. Without asking like how it fits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there's definitely some baffling things that they try to throw in as scary and just, <laughs> it's just not scary. So, until next time, I'm Mike. I'm John. And thank you for joining us for The Graveyard Shift. The Graveyard Shift is a Strange Biscuits production. Visit our website at strangebiscuits.com slash graveyardshift to hear all of our previous episodes. Subscribe to us, rate, and review us on CastBox, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and Spotify. And don't forget to check out our Instagram at The Graveyard Shift Pod, as well as our Facebook at The Graveyard Shift Pod. 
Our Twitter is GS underscore Horror Pod. And if you wish to support the show financially, visit us at patreon.com slash graveyard. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support the show and get bonus content. The theme for the Graveyard Shift is As Brutal As It Ever Was by Technoaxe. Visit their website at technoaxe.com and their YouTube channel for more royalty-free music. Thank you for listening, and as always, stay spooky. Ha 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 